Hey friends, this is Holly Bame Lytle, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism in the Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's panel of exceptional autism parents. We are here with another group of autism parents and our topic today is how much therapy is enough. And we have a very diverse group of parents joining us right now. And um, when I say diverse, I mean that uh, a variety of different approaches. Um, some have chosen more traditional, like uh, you know, ABA type of therapies. Other have done more holistic, naturopathic type therapies. Um, and some have actually um, chosen to discontinue services like at a, like fairly young. So it's going to be an interesting podcast just talking about what defines therapy. For one, how did you choose the type of therapy or therapies that you selected for your particular child? Uh, I'm Christine and my son Cameron is 11. Uh, he was diagnosed at two and a half and so we've been doing therapies uh, since then. We took a more traditional approach. I think uh, in the beginning, we weren't quite sure what we were up against. So, you know, you get that autism diagnosis and you're not quite sure what that means. Um, For our son, he went from having language. I mean, he was verbal and he was using baby sign language uh, up until age two and then all of a sudden it just stopped so for us it it seemed appropriate and logical that we would go back to having speech therapy and that's what we started with so i think circumstances and the way that our diagnosis presented itself in the very beginning it was very logical for us to take that natural step Um, We actually lived outside of the U.S. at the time that we got our diagnosis, so finding services was pretty limited for us. We returned stateside when he was four, and um, I was inundated with a lot of, you should change his diet, and you should um, do this, and you should do that, and you should do this. For us, in determining what was best for Cameron, we continued with the speech therapy. Uh, all along, we we know that's one of his biggest deficits, so that it seems the most appropriate. And he doesn't have any other um, secondary or comorbidity diagnoses like apraxia or anything like that. So he's capable of language. So it makes sense that we just continue with speech therapy and helping him to learn to use and process language. Um, from a just a parental standpoint, we didn't see any other um, uh, indications that he needed a diet change. Like it, it seemed to me that there should be something else that would present itself um, as his body unable to say process the gluten or the milk casins or whatever it was at the time that they were saying, well, this is what autism is. It's a it's a reaction to gluten. It's a it's a gut issue. So you should completely change his diet. And at the time, my kid literally ate noodles and yogurt. So, <laughs> 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 like, 
I mean, seriously, it was, I think it was like SpaghettiOs and, and yogurt at the time. And so I'm thinking if I take, if I take wheat and milk from his diet, he literally will eat nothing. I'm so. pretty sure that Goldfish Crackers is a food group. I'm just saying. Again, again, if I needed to take away um, wheat and gluten, like seriously, there was nothing left that my child could eat. And he wasn't having any other physical symptoms that would lead me to think that I that this was some dramatic thing that I needed to do for him. So we just we chose not to do that. Again, as the saying goes, you meet one child with autism, you meet one child with autism, and I think that the same holds true with what therapies you decide to do for your child. It's going to be on a very individual, case-by-case basis. Well, I don't know about you guys, so this is, you know, like my, you know, because I've had two different children diagnosed with autism, and so with Isaac, he was identified at 15 months old, was diagnosed officially, like, at between 18 and 24 months, and um, obviously, like, the language piece was the number one factor, right? So, obviously, the language piece isn't coming online, and we lost language, and so it's it seems like, at least back in those days, and this was, you know, 12, 13 years ago, that, oh, okay, you need speech therapy. That was like our first, like, stop was speech therapy. And then because of the speech therapist that we were plugged into at that particular time, they were more dialed in and were doing more referrals towards, like, that floor time, DIR floor time piece. And so um, because that was kind of the recommendation and it's very play-based, it's and he was young, it seemed like that was you know, a good viable, you know, um, way of going versus doing the ABA um, type of therapy. And so that was the reason why we, you know, started our, our steps with speech and then we moved into that, you know, DIR floor time component. And it were, and it was great. We unfortunately had like the explosive diarrhea issue where it was just mm. chronic diarrhea where it was just like, okay, so then, and I will say our floor time therapist was very much against us trying the gluten casein free diet because again, that alternative, even though some in some circles, people would say DIR floor time is alternative. Right. Um, but for this particular provider, like he just thought it was absolutely absurd to take away all the things that he would eat. And then, you know, like have to come up with, make it, your life is just so much more complicated when you have to eliminate. And this was again, 12 or 13 years ago so you couldn't just go to Walmart or you couldn't go to um, Trader Joe's to buy these things and so we were literally having to kick and make everything from scratch and I would have friends go to the stores over in the Seattle area and bring it over with them to Spokane so it was a huge pain in the ass I'm just not gonna lie but we did notice a difference in terms of his like bowel issues his diarrhea stopped and um, while he did have apraxia, um, you know, his right before he passed away, there was definitely better language. Um, and he was actually starting to put more um, words together for short, simple sentences. And so um, whether that was diet related, I can't honestly tell you. But I will tell you for me, and the DIR floor time is fantastic. It's very play-based, follow the child's natural interests. That was fantastic. I will tell you where I found the most progress for us, which is where I put a lot of my time and energy, was on the occupational therapy. Because my Isaac was so sensory, so 
you know, defensive in terms of auditory and textures and just everything um, that he was so defensive of that it really was, that was the biggest part that was impacting our quality of life because we couldn't go out and do anything because the sensory overload was just like, it was a shit show, I'm going to be honest. And so, um, so we did a lot of, you know, so I did a bunch of extra stuff and while it was, you know, DI or floor time, it was floor time based, you know, follow his natural interest and try and make those sensory elements fun um but now okay beep beep now we're gonna move up to the next kid um you know caleb is on the other end so he's very high functioning um so he walked he talked he was conversational but he started showing that sensory piece um that defensiveness the auditory overstimulated didn't transition well and his language was very precise. It was, he had good language, but it was very precise, very scripted. So then it was like, oh, okay. So we actually jumped into OT first with Caleb. And then when we started noticing kind of that real scripted and very precise language, it was like, oh, well, maybe we should probably look at some like language therapy to kind of address some of that expressive and receptive processing. Um, and we've never done floor time or ABA actually with Caleb, um, mostly because now, you know, this is, you know, he's my fourth child or, you know, he's one of four, I should say. Um, but I really honestly believe that parenting is largely ABA therapy. It's behavior modification, <laughs> right? So I feel like as a natural parent, and this is not my first rodeo, don't we do that every day? So I feel like just now I'm a more experienced parent. Obviously I've had a child with autism and also I have the wonderful ability to work with hundreds of families who have children like autism. I feel like um, you know, by and large, we do pretty well mm -hmm. in that regard. Um, so that is kind of how our, like how we plugged into therapies kind of happened. And I guess the moral of the story is it was very kind of um, provider driven. It was like one provider referred to a different provider that then, oh, have you ever thought of, you know, auditory, um, auditory or therapeutic listening sort of things to work on as auditory processing for both of the kids. And so it was really just, by references and recommendations of the providers that we were working with, to be honest with you. So, um, you know, unfortunately, I would say there's really not a clear roadmap, I would say, mm -hmm. for us families in terms of, oh, once this happens, do A, and then B, and then C, and D. Right. It's just not, it doesn't really work like that. And he started at what age, and how old is he now? So Caleb, we started known the wheels started coming off the wagon sensory-wise at about two. And so he's been in, um, you know, occupational therapy and speech therapy since two, and now he's 10. Um, and we are still, while well, we don't do the- And does he go willingly? Well, it depends on the provider though. And that's the thing too, is that that's a really good point, is um, it all depends on how well that provider connects with him. Because we have had ones where I'm like, this is a complete waste of time. Um, because if he's not willing to engage in that provider and um, have that, trust in that relationship and rapport, there's just, we are wasting our time and I am wasting my money. I had a therapist come and all they wanted to do, like Karen, Cameron loves to color and draw. She came and colored and drew with him. Like, what are you here for? Because he can- it takes that DIR floor time to a whole new level. Right? I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, but he can do this on your own. What are we gaining here? What are we gaining here? And it, we came really close to just saying, yeah, this, this version of ABA, 
not working for us. Yeah. Not working for us. Until we can get a different provider, we're probably not going to continue this. So I totally agree that it, while it can be sometimes provider-driven, um, it, it can make your decision whether or not you're going to keep doing what they're saying you're you're going to do. Now we have a different provider, and it's fantastic. Like, we're working on life skills and, you know, money and all kinds of stuff. It's it's fantastic. But, I mean, yeah, it can definitely depend on your provider. I think, too. Um, They're not all created equal. Oh, no. Absolutely not. Yes. It really yeah. is specific to the yeah. child. And and here's the other thing, too, is, is that um, what my expectation was with Isaac is now different in terms of what my expectation is of providers because I, I feel like I know a lot more and I have very, I know what skills I really wanna be dialing in on where I was just so like, I don't know any, I, I don't know how to be a mom because he is my oldest, let alone now I'm supposed to be- You're trusting them to be the expert. Exactly. Yes. Correct. Yes. And so with Caleb, I've actually had the kind of the opposite now where I've actually had some therapists when they find out that it's Caleb and his mom is Holly Lytle with the Isaac Foundation say, I'm not comfortable working with him because like, I just feel like she's gonna nitpick or be really critical of what I'm doing as a therapist. <laughs> and my response to that was, well, here's the thing. Um, that will only become a problem if you are looking at my child. Oh, you're a kiddo with autism. Let me just pull out my autism box and we're right. gonna just work yeah. within this confined box. Yes. If you are open to thinking outside of the box and just understand and respect the fact that I am a subject matter expert on this particular human being yes. and I can give you my observations, my hunches, and then we partner that with your expertise and your training and see whether or not we can noodle some options that are gonna work to work on this isolated problem or a goal or whatnot. If that is not something that you feel comfortable with, then you're absolutely right. Like refer me to somebody else because I do think that there there have been times we've experienced where as Cameron has gotten older that the skill set for the therapist is maybe only at that early childhood development level. And as he's moving into, you know, he's a preteen and and his social skills and his, you know, all of all of those things that we need to be able to teach him that we have to break down and he's not just naturally learning. I have found that there are therapists who can't generalize their own training to those older level skills. Almost like school teachers. You've got yes. certain grade levels. Yes. You're either an elementary school teacher or you're a high school teacher and, and the skill sets don't transfer and you really need a provider if you're going to continue to do something who can continue that, that skill set to take those for us, in our case, we do ABA, take those ABA um, concepts and continue to take them from that very, you know, young, early adolescent childhood development level and start to apply them. We're lucky that we have found a provider that can do that as we've moved, you know, to his needs being, you know, a, mu a much older need. It's not, it's no longer a lot of play. It's now more of that, you know, social peer interaction dynamic that we really need to teach him how, how to do that. And then real world things where we're going out into the public and he needs to learn how to exchange money and 
and you know order something at McDonald's on his own and not have mom do it you know that kind of stuff we're we've been really lucky that we've found providers that are able to grow with us but I mean it hasn't been with you know a provider coming to us and saying a therapist coming to us and saying I don't know what else to teach your kid like really well good for them for being honest I mean yeah, well, I, yes, I, yes. it's like whoa okay it's a little shocking to me because like I just keep thinking holy crap, now what do I do for my kid? Because I know that there are skills that he needs to work on. And I guess if it falls to me, that's fine. But I would prefer to well, have nice help. Said, I, this is beyond my purview, but here's some recommendations. Yes. My name is John. I'm a, uh, a paramedic firefighter. So um, my job is predicated on solving problems. So I look at things... And, oftentimes is a mechanical system. Um, I'd like to think that I'm a bit of a physiology-based effect-cause-causation theorist, I suppose. So early on, I saw that, that autism was, a, you know, there was immune dysfunction. There was a lot of things that kind of uh, were interwebbed with, with, with the issues that they were having neurologically. And so I thought that, you know, uh, did some research into uh, traumatic brain injury, right? So Brain injury is the same thing. It's neurologic dysfunction, but due to a traumatic nature, not because of a uh, genetic component or a uh, immune insult as a child or something else. So I thought, well, you know what? Um, I'll do some research into something else. And early on, I, I bought a hyperbaric chamber and I bought a oxygen concentrator. And there was actually some great success with some, some kiddos uh, in Europe uh, utilizing um, oxygen under pressure with these with these kiddos and used it with my boy f for a while the issue with him was is that he did have gut issues and uh, the yeast in him was very very high so that when we introduced pressure and 100 percent oxygen his his behaviors got terrible so he was one of the kiddos that was diet controlled already and what we figured out was if he was given gluten he wasn't even able to eye contact was not something that he did so Early on, pulled the gluten out of his diet, able to get eye contact, able to engage the, the kiddo and, and get him to, uh, you know, at least understand or engage us. So that was a, a big move. So what the biggest thing we saw early on was his diet change. And then we did uh, floor time and ABA for a bit. What I saw with some of the therapists was that uh, they're trying to create a robot who, when he saw me walk in the door, was, oh, hi, daddy. You know, a situation where it was a parrot that he was taught to act a certain way, but there was no real engagement behind it, right? So I thought that was quite honestly bullshit. So I, I said, you know, I don't believe in this. I'm not going to continue this. Uh, and I said, yeah, I don't, I don't think this is doing anything for him. He's able to be taught things, but oftentimes ABA seems to be for him where we're kind of at now, where, where he needs to be, and he needs to be taught life tasks. He's 15 years old now. Um, he's the only one of my kiddos that, that makes his bed, that puts his dishes away, that does things like that, right? But um, as far as going to the bathroom, we still have to do paperwork. We still, you know, and that's the thing I want him taught. And his mother and I disagree on this quite a bit. And uh, it's led to some, obviously, some issues. Um, but I would say that uh, we did see some changes um, with his brain maturing as him getting older. Uh, I think there's been some some big uh, big leaps there, of course. But you try everything, right? I mean, you're a parent yeah. of, a, of a kiddo that you want to try and advocate for, and you want to see a change in. And 
like I said, with the way I think, it's like, well, there's got to be a mechanical cause for this. There's got to be a hormone issue. It's got to be a chemistry issue. It's got to be something. And what I found out was that I was able to, you know, get some recovery or, or something back, you know, that we lost. But I wasn't able ever to get to where the point where I was happy with where we were at. So I recently stopped the therapy that he was doing. And I can't tell you that uh, he's been doing the therapy for seven years now. And I think there was some initial growth. But honestly, do, is it that or the fact that his brain's maturing? So, you know, it's a hard thing to say. But, you know, at some point you have to say uncle and say that, you know, this isn't a survivable thing for the family or for me. I was diagnosed at three and a half. And the pediatric neurologist told us that the best place to start you know, speech therapy, everybody, that's the first thing. And, you know, we had no idea. This is a whole, whole new thing. So we start with speech therapy, do some OT, had to switch OT therapists because right off the bat, this, the one that was working with him was very low affect and he is very, um, he's an F4 tornado on a good day. Um, so we needed somebody who was far more energetic and, and dynamic to deal with him. Um, and they weren't happy with us when we wanted to switch therapists. That you can find that. I mean, you can you can definitely find that if you decide that the person that is working with your child is is not a good fit for you, they don't like to hear that. But you need to make sure you advocate. This isn't about being liked. This exactly. is about getting the right people to deal with your kids. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would think that's probably another topic. But you know how stiff your spine has to grow to be an autism parent. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so um, we did speech and OT and DIR floor time with Trevin, well, those under that, that um, umbrella, only until he was about, I don't even remember now, nine, 10, something like that. Holly's nodding her head at me. I and that's about right. It's like, it's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. And uh, we used to uh, take him to breakfast at a particular restaurant. Shout out to Waffles Plus on Monroe. Yes. And we love Dale's Waffles Plus. Yes, a private commercial. In Spokane, Washington. Um, after therapy, and so when we we had tried feeding therapy as part of speech therapy, which and and all of this was miserable for everyone involved. Trevin hated it. He he, <laughs> it was torture and one of the reasons we we stopped when we did was he was getting big enough to make that an issue you you couldn't make him do things nearly as as easily and any and if we couldn't find anybody to make him want to be there that kind of says something and we weren't making any progress i mean minimal right and as john said you don't know how much of that is brain growth natural you know just growing or actual benefit from the therapy but we didn't see much so what we chose to do was discontinue therapy and create a lot more harmony in our family and stop arguing with each other about it and both my husband and i and trevin and i and <laughs> all around and we just kept going to breakfast because school didn't know he was done with therapy <laughs> So, <laughs> so we, no, and, and so the parrot adds, wow, he smells like bacon again. Yeah. We, and so if slowly you, you let it come out, you're like, we went to community therapy. Huh? We went to breakfast and they laugh and it's true. But here's what that did for us is it 
taught him to sit at a restaurant over time for a longer period of time each time. Um, it gives you an opportunity to work on manners out in a public setting. It gives the community an opportunity to experience our kids in the wild because guess what? Not everybody is polite and quiet and <laughs> yeah, there's going to be outbursts and, and, and they're not small and, you know, little tiny cute little things. They become big boys and yes. big girls. And yes. yes, it's what's cute when they're three, not so much when they're 16. But guess what? Sometimes those behaviors still come out and it's loud and obnoxious. But this is a place that we have a lot of, um, and here's another topic for later, What that I just read this, social capital. We have a lot of social capital at this restaurant, right? The owner's a friend, but on top of that, a lot of the regular customers, they know us. Mm -hmm. And so if anybody's new there and they give us side eye, they're seeing all these other people not negatively react. And that teaches those new people that, well, how come right. not? Be good about this. Yeah. Right. It's okay. It's, it's yeah, it's this okay. is like. <laughs> Therapy goes both ways, it right? Really yeah. Um, so yeah, along those lines, other things we do, we, we take him to our running club, which is a great community. Shout out to the Flying Irish. Um, and they, you know, people there are really, except, I mean, nobody gives you side eye there. They're fantastic, right? They drink beer too, so that helps. It does. It really does. And uh, I look forward to the day when, you know, I don't have to worry about Trevin inadvertently grabbing somebody's beer and thinking it's water. <laughs> like, no, that's not yours. <laughs> um, we take him to concerts. We take him to, I, we, he participates in the therapeutic recreation services through Spokane Parks Department. Uh, their snowboard program. Uh, he goes cross country skiing. Shout out right, woo, powder hands. Yay, Alice. Um, so, so really what therapy has, air quotes there, has become for us is life experiences and sucking it up because don't get me wrong, none of this is hardly ever easy on us. Um, I'm sure my liver is a lot older than my biological age. Because <laughs> once you get back home, <laughs> like, oh boy. But over time, it gets better. It, and you just have to keep doing it if that's one thing you want to do for your kid. And, um, and it's tough to do, but, but it's what works for us. So it, I don't know. I just think it sounds like a great like, alternative therapy that maybe some other parents wouldn't think of. But I also think of Trevin in particular as an ambassador to our community in general because, you know, a lot of people would see him and think he's, you know, low functioning and that he doesn't communicate very well. But I freaking love seeing him out and about and that you oh, he got... He communicates. He communicates <laughs> with his whole body. He, 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 he does. He does. Yes. He, he does running yeah. and he goes to concerts and he... So, and yeah. that's something that he does really well, that he's yeah. really physical and that you're promoting that in him. Exactly. exactly. You find their strengths and you build on those instead of, instead of trying to focus on their deficits. That's, that's been helpful to us. We're, he is never going to be molded into a model citizen. I mean, you know, what, what, <laughs> what, what people, exactly, like the, the quiet, polite, you know, 
all the all the manners go now places we don't take him we were talking about this earlier the symphony he would love that but we don't want to be assholes people play people pay good money to go have a nice experience in a fairly quiet environment we're not going to invade that with his presence so it goes both ways that you know we will take him places like noisy breakfast restaurants yeah. for sure right for sure. yeah but Noisy concerts, oh yeah, concert for Isaac, rock concerts, um, pig out in the park, great place to take him for concerts. All right, I'm Geraldine, Um, I guess I'll go next. So my son Elian is 11 now, and I guess I can see a lot of similarities in our adventures on Elian's autism journey um, with everybody else. I guess maybe we're kind of a, a medium between everybody else. Our story started out um, with us living in rural Alaska. So we actually, it took us a year and a half to get a diagnosis. There's one, there was one person at the time in the entire state that did the diagnosis for autism or who was qualified to do it. We happened to live in a rural area of about 3,000 people and it took two planes to get to the doctor that could diagnose him. So we were, I think, on a nine-month waiting list to get in to see him. So it was a, it was a little bit different of a journey. Um, we thought in the beginning that it was mostly just speech because he met his milestones. You know, he was walking when he was nine months old. I mean, my son was reading at three years of age. I mean, he did a lot of those things really early, but it was just, you know, his communication, like, well, he hasn't called me Mana yet. He hasn't said Dada. I mean, he hasn't said those things or done those things that other kids have done at his age. But every other milestone, he made those. He was fine. So finally, we get our diagnosis. Um, and they said he was autistic. But we couldn't do anything about it. We lived in such a small town. And we didn't have, you know, occupational or speech therapists. So we made a big change. We moved to Spokane where there was more opportunities for that and one of the deciding factors was you know i had family here but there was also a preschool at the time that was able to offer something that we couldn't even dream of where we lived they offered you know a a full day program they had peer models and i happen to have a son that's 15 months younger he was able to go the same preschool so i could keep my kids together because he could be a peer model for the other kids with autism they got speech therapy OT, ABA therapy, all in one, you know, seven hour day. And I'm like, that sounded fantastic because, you know, where we were at, we were getting almost nothing. A speech therapist, an occupational therapist flew in once every four to six weeks. And we had them for a few days where we were at. I knew we could do something better for, for my son and we made that switch. I came here with just me and my kids my husband at the time you know he stayed behind hoping that he was going to join us later but you know we just we decided we have to do something serious because you know all the research at the time said that you know this age was really critical i felt like we were missing out on that because of where we lived and you know it shouldn't be that way we shouldn't have to miss out on those opportunities just because of your geography but we decided to do that and I do have to say in the beginning, I saw a lot of changes in, 
in him. His speech just kind of took off. You know, he was doing um, he was doing a lot more. His writing was getting a lot better. I mean, he was reading since he was three anyway. I didn't even have to teach him how to do that, but it just took off. His math skills, even some of his social skills. You know, I know John was saying that you know his son was you know parroting back things, and my son was too. But in the same sense that you know it didn't always feel genuine. At least you know I felt like. I don't know if it's genuine for me either, to be honest with you. I mean, it, I'm kind of awkward myself, but, you know, it's kind of a learned behavior for me too. But all maybe for all of us, yeah. yeah, but maybe it can turn into something where he realized, okay, well, that's, you know, how we function in society. And he was able to do that. So we continued, we continued down that path and we were doing speech therapy. And, you know, my, my ex and I, we ended up breaking up. So he was in Alaska, I was in Washington. You know, one problem that we had with therapy was that most therapists, especially where we live, there's a limited amount of them and we can only do so much. Well, gosh, we, my kids have to take a two month break to go to another state for a couple months. Well, we're on the wait list after that and that makes it really hard to have that continuation of services. So as much as I wanna do that, it's kind of made it almost impossible right now. He does get speech and OT at school. It's not, it's not as intensive. I'm gonna be, it's not as intensive as I would like it to be. Sometimes, that, you know, oh, I, the I'm... The therapists themselves are great. Just the amount of time you yeah. get. It, I, love, you know, I love it on the IEP. Ten minutes. Right, yeah. <laughs> Ten, twenty minutes a week. You're like, oh, oh yeah. Ten minutes. You know, my, yeah. my son is in an... He's in an inclusive classroom. I know he gets... His teachers are very experienced with that, and I'm very, you know, happy with the situation that he's in. I would like to do more. But, you know, as a single parent... I, I do have some support here, which I'm, which is one of the reasons I stay where I'm at. But it's, but it's not ideal. He's 11, and I, I feel like we'd still there's some room for growth and opportunity. I see some more potential in him that maybe that we're not completely tapping into, and I wish we could do a lot more with that. But at the same time, he's a functioning kid. You know, he finally quit wetting the bed at age 11. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and that's something to celebrate. And, you know, he's fantastic with math, and I'd rather, you know, focus on the strengths that he has. I can see him doing really well com with computers and doing well, at, you know, more in math. And there's some things that I also know that he's probably never going to be that great at. So I guess I want to find a great balance between therapy and between life because yeah, I know yeah. there's there's only yeah. so much hours that we have in the day and that work-life balance is really important to me and it's really yeah. important for our quality of life. Um, as a family. As a family, absolutely. Yeah. I really think that as parents, we are really good about capturing teachable moments throughout a day. So, you know, most parents, you know, you build on opportunities like Amanda, you were talking about, you know, going to your restaurant therapy, um, where you're going out and you're building on those opportunities. You're taking him out to concerts. Um, and um, Christine, you're, you are actually an educator. You were, before you became a stay-at-home mom, you taught um, in a high school setting. And so I, I have to think that probably, you know, I think all of us would agree again, I joke about parenting being ABA therapy, but I think as a parent, you're naturally looking at their skills and abilities and trying to find opportunities for them to develop them just every day of their life, whether it's in a clinic or it's at school or whether they're at home. So I think that that's always good. The one thing I will say, 
when I started the Isaac Foundation 11 years ago, one of my biggest things, our platform, like our foundation was built on the foundation of providing financial assistance for families to access therapy interventions that their insurance would not cover. Um, because it really made me sad. Um, you know, the day Isaac died, I could look back and I could say that I had tried everything that was available at that time. Some of the things really clicked. Some of the things were absolutely horrible, but we, you know, gave it a roll for, you know, that span of time to be able to check it off of the list. And so there was a lot of comfort for me as a parent knowing that, hey, we, we, we did everything that we could have done to help him be the best that he could be. And it really broke my heart that so much time and stress and pressure, every day that I woke up as Isaac's mom, I was constantly worried about that financial piece of being able to provide those therapies for him. Um, and that's what Isaac Foundation did for a long time. So for many, many years before we had insurance reform in the state of Washington that um, forced insurance companies to extend benefits to our family members that have autism, you know, we just gave out grants for families to be able to try different things. But this is what I learned is, um, number one, um, every family's 100% is different. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, some families their 100% was just being able to go to one speech therapy session a week. That was their 100%. Um, then we had other families who were more like my mindset. My younger Holly self when I was Isaac's mom was like, where I got that energy, I don't know. But I mean, I was doing everything. Like, you know, 40 hours a week, okay, we could probably squeeze in 45. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was insane, absolutely yeah. insane. Yeah. My Caleb mom self is like, oh my gosh, like we have speech therapy twice this week. Like, oh my word. <laughs> you know what I mean? I hate to say that because I'm like, I'm just because I'm getting old. Um, but every parent's 100% when it comes to therapy is a little bit different. Um, but here's the other thing that I found is, is that families want the opportunity to try different things that they think might benefit their child. And, you know, Isaac Foundation was that opportunity for families to be able to try a variety of different things. But here's what we found is, is that some families would try it and be like, well, that was a train wreck. Um, and you could check that off the list. But then as years go by, because Isaac Foundation is now 11 years old, you have families coming back to us saying, hey, you know what, funny thing, we circled back around to that type of therapy that we once had tried and it's been amazing. Because again, what John, your point just was that, you know, your brain doesn't develop until, male's brain doesn't develop fully until 25. But there's a, an element of that too, is, that, you know, there's a time and a place um, for different types of therapies. Other family dynamics change too. You know, I myself, I've gone through a divorce and, you know, as a single parent trying to race around and do all these things, um, you know, Christine, I know your husband works out of town um, half of the time because he's a pilot. Um, and that's the thing is, is that, um, you know, you have to just do the best that you can. Um, and, you know, sometimes it is just being able to check off the box and say, hey, we tried it, it didn't work. Um, and then I think that it's okay to recognize that you're 100% if your 100% is one speech therapy session a week, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Because what you're saying, Amanda, is what's your quality of life worth? And if your kid is going and you're forcing them to go and they hate it and they're fighting and they're not getting anything out of it, is that a productive use of your time? That's exactly true. That's exactly true. But it's funny you say that about the circling back around because now Trevin won't use, he, he doesn't have any physical impediments to speech, but he doesn't 
strive to communicate with us. Some kids really want you to understand them. He really doesn't care much. But he does like language, really likes language, and he learns a lot off of YouTube on his own free will. I don't know where he found Elmo to teach him to count to 10 in Russian, but he did. And Japanese too, actually. So, um, but he, he doesn't, uh, because we think he has so many auditory processing issues, he doesn't articulate well. He drops a lot of first and last consonants. And so we're actually looking at take, starting again in speech therapy, but with jokes, because he likes to tell corny jokes. And so we're just, we're not going to call it speech there. We're just going to call it, you know, joke, joke therapy. therapy. Exactly. And it, <laughs> that would be, wouldn't that be hilarious? So, so yes, it does circle back around because sometimes it's a timing issue. And you're also talking about those teachable moments where you can't schedule those. So, oh, every, every Thursday at 10 a.m., you're going to therapy and that's going to be a teachable moment. Well, maybe sometimes, but probably not. You know, yeah. So, right. Unless somebody gets to be with your kid as much as you do, they're not going to be able to hit those magic moments. So keeping your eyes open for them, I do think is, is a very critical home therapy, parent therapy, whatever element. But yeah, we're all ABA therapists in some respect. You reinforce the the positive behaviors, so. Well, I think that's exactly it. There shouldn't be any pressure. I know in my job, I mean, I manage a lot of people and I'm always looking for those coachable moments. And I think in our life, like with our kids and even with the community, we find a lot of coachable moments. But at the same time, I think, feel like we don't have to be on all the time sometimes we just need to be Geraldine or Amanda or Holly or John I mean we just need to be ourselves and we don't have to worry about gosh I need to discipline Cooper or Trevin or Elian. I mean we just, just need to be, be themselves. we just need to be yeah. and they need to be yeah. like we're not yes. always looking for those coachable teachable moments yeah. I mean it's great when we find those opportunities but you know what this week I had a terrible week and that just wasn't going to happen. Right? <laughs> and that's so, good. And that was going to happen. Yeah, and it, you know what? Yeah. It was. We were surviving. Yeah. 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 It, it, we, were, we weren't learning anything new. Man, yeah. we just, we were in survival mode. You know what? People should just be happy that I didn't cuss them out. <laughs> and that I didn't hit their car. A lot of people I, in our town should be just thankful they're alive. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it. And it's interesting that we all had a similar kind of week, maybe because the first week of school I was, was in the past. I mean, there's a common theme here going. But, I mean, I, I appreciate that, and I think we can all be ambassadors to our community, and, you know, we can all teach our kids these life skills as we go out and about to Costco and, yes. you know, and to Waffles Plus and all the places that we go. But at the same time, we should just also have the ability to just be us and not have to worry about that too or the judgment of others oh john left yes realize that these kiddos are experiencing happiness that we can never experience if you think about that that it gives you a little bit more fuel it gives you red bull right (laughs) it makes you think that beyond yourself it's it's something that's that's beyond ourselves and and I think that we wish that, that uh, you know, we had the perspective they did. One thing I will say is that people have asked me, you know, if you had one wish, what would it be? I wish that I could be in my son's head for one hour. Yes. One hour. Just to know what he's thinking and what he's processing. Because if I could get in there for an hour, 
I can make a world of difference. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.